0: So we are continuing this series uh, that we started uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, studying through the book of Isaiah, and we started uh, with the chapter one of Isaiah. It's, again, it is a major prophet book. It is uh, written by Isaiah, the prophet who, again, is named after. Uh, We learn in the very first verse that it, it was written by Isaiah and that he is writing down the visions he received from God, and that 's what a prophet does is they receive they receive these messages or visions from God, and then they would be passing them on to uh, to the intended audiences and Again, in the Old Testament in this time, they did not have the Holy Spirit in, in, in every believer, and so they needed this connection between them and god and and in this this season of israel 's history, God spoke to uh, the Israelites through prophets, and Isaiah again was one of those prophets. His ministry spanned uh, the the reign of of several kings. We see that in the very first verse, um, and but his his ministry uh, spanned for about forty years as as he heard from God and and passed on these messages. And yet we've seen already in the book of Isaiah that uh, you know that his messages were not always positive ones. In fact, most of it is is judgment right and and struggle that is that Israel is going through again as we we looked at verse one again and come in and these kings and and we see all of all of <coughs> excuse me we see all of this time and this this historical record that it covers, but again, the Isaiah is a, a very complex weave of stories and of judgments of victories and future predictions. last week we looked in chapters 5 and 6 where we saw this incredible foreshadow of the new covenant that will be brought through the coming messiah as as Isaiah examined and described this vision that he had and where he fully surrendered to God's plan for not just him right but for Israel and for these messages that he was to bring and and he accepted this very hard job right of going and and, and delivering these messages, and, and even when God told him that the people aren't going to listen to you, they're not going to receive it, this is going to be a hard job, but yet it will always be worth it. And now as we continue in our study, we are going to move forward into uh, chapter 7 today, which is where we're picking back up. Because after this vision, after Isaiah accepts this, this, this job, this role that God has for him, um, he sends him to go talk with King Ahaz. And as he does that, um, he, he goes to him, and, and, and just as God told him, the message was not received well. In fact, the king pushed back on him, and, and he did not like this prediction that came from Israel. And then we see at, at, at the beginning of chapter 4, after he comes to Isaiah or to King Ahaz and tells him this, then we hear this, this one this glimpse uh, of sign of, of God's hope. Where it says, All right, then the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child, and she will give birth to a son, and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Now, as we see this verse, this, this verse again is, is a very popular one that we read at Christmas time, right, for obvious reasons. But this literally was written hundreds of years before the birth of Christ. And this verse is a glimpse of hope in the midst of some very hard truths. This is a, a reoccurring kind of theme throughout the book. We see this kind of, this style or, or pattern of where there is lots and lots of judgments and hard messages, but it's also sprinkled with some glimpses of hope. And, and in the midst of, of these, these hard Predictions and seasons that Isaiah brings to King Ahaz there is this glimpse of hope of a messiah right of, of, of future salvation for for all of the world now what follows this verse is the is the prediction and warning of an invasion by Assyria that will destroy their country Again, a very hard message and then we see um, after Isaiah delivers this message, and and then we we want to I want to pick up this morning in Isaiah chapter eight, and we're gonna. um, So if you have your Bible with you, I encourage you to open with me to Isaiah chapter eight. We're gonna start at verse eleven. If you don't have your own Bible and you're here with us in person, there are Bibles provided for you in the seats, so you're welcome to use. You'll notice the page numbers there where you can find this passage in those Bibles. If you're with us online, hopefully you have a Bible close to you and you can follow along. If not, I'll just read it for you. We're gonna read verses eleven through twenty-two. And it says, the Lord has given me a strong warning not to think like everyone else does. He said, don't call everything a conspiracy like they do, and don't live in dread of what frightens them. Make the Lord of heaven's armies holy in your life. He is the one you should fear. He is the one who should make you tremble. He will keep you safe. But to Israel and Judah, he will be a stone that makes people stumble, a rock that makes them fall. And for the people of Jerusalem, he will be a trap and a snare. Many will stumble and fall, never to rise again, and they will be snared and captured. Preserve the teachings of God. Entrust his instructions to those who follow me. I will wait for the Lord who has turned away from the descendants of Jacob. I will put my hope in him. I and the children the Lord has given me serve as signs and warnings to Israel from the Lord of heaven's armies who dwells in his temple on Mount Zion. Someone may say to you, let's ask mediums and those who consult the spirits of the dead with their whisperings and mutterings they will tell us what to do but shouldn't people ask god for guidance should the living seek guidance from the dead look to god's instructions and teachings people who contradict his word are completely in the dark they will go from one place to another weary and hungry and because they are hungry they will rage and curse their king and their god they will look up to heaven and down at the earth but wherever they look there will be trouble and anguish, and dark despair, they will be thrown out into darkness. Now as we read these verses, these predictions, these explanations, I don't know about you, but I read these words and thinking, Are these, were these written last week? And the reality is they were written 2,500 years ago. And yet, I think as I read those words, it just, it's astounding to me, right, of, again, how, how relevant they are to today. But it also speaks to how unchanging our God is. And again, just like so much we read in Isaiah, there's, there's some really hard truths in here, and there's also some huge glimpses of hope. And as we look at these verses, the, the, the very first verse just jumps out at me right, in verse 11, where it says that the Lord has given me a strong warning not to think like everyone else does. Again, as a follower of Jesus, as, as a servant of God, we need to sit back for a moment and, and think, how many times does God give strong warnings? And when he does, we should perk up and listen. And here, God gives us a strong warning. He says, don't think like everyone else does. And as I, as I look at that warning, that command, and all of the instructions that follow it, I, I, my mind immediately goes to one of our core verses of our vision, which is Romans 12, 2. Right, which tells us to don't, not copy the behaviors and customs of the world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. And when we think about the faith journey and what God's calling us to do as followers of him and, and the, the transformation we need in our hearts and in our minds, it, it starts in the way we think. And here, all of these years before that, God told the same thing through Isaiah. Right? Be, be careful on how you think, how you process things, how you make decisions. How you view the world don't think like everyone else does but but think differently right be, be a, a a holy nation a set apart right for for a different purpose and, and and be motivated by different things and and then what follows here in these these next verses that we read is is god breaks down on how we should think differently And he gives us several things that that we should do in our lives and live out every day to make sure that we are thinking differently, right? That our focus is is on God and not on the ways of the world and things around us. The first thing that we are told to do is, is to make God holy in your life. Make God holy in your life. Again, this, this is not a new command. This is not even something that's new with Isaiah. As we, we can even go back to, to what God gave in, in the, the, old, the um, prophets before him and, and in all the leaders of Israel. I mean, all the way back to Moses and the Ten Commandments. I mean, this is literally the first commandment. Make God God. right, And make him holy in your life. Now, God already is holy. Right? So, again, our actions and our attitudes don't make God holy, but, but what, again, this command, what God's telling them to do and us through Isaiah is, is set God apart, right? May, he is the one that you worship. Make him holy for you. He's already holy, so treat him in that way, right? This is a call to reverence, right? This is a call to, to respect, to worship God and only God. It's kind of referenced in here again that we shouldn't we should fear God, not again a, the a holy fear, right? A reverent fear of God, knowing that He is holy, right? And then I'm not, and then I set Him on the top of my life. Again, not to live in an earthly fear that is that is a fear of of being punished or of dread or 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 you know destruction, but yet a fear of reverence of of respect, of acknowledging his holiness, that he is God and that I am not. The next thing we we're told is, the first and foremost, is to make God holy in our life. The next is that we are to look to God for safety. But The reality is this is not a safe place to live. I mean, this world is not safe. And in fact, there's lots in this world, right, that that, that can be damaging or that, that is bad or evil. And there's lots that are, that's good too. But, but yet, as we look to God for safety, we can acknowledge that God, again, is not as he, not only is he completely holy, but he's also completely powerful. Right? That, that he has the authority over everything in this world, even over the things that aren't safe. Again, this is about authority in your life, right? About about looking to God for to keep me safe, knowing that He has authority over anything that might harm me, and that He loves me more than I can imagine. Again, as we see here in 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 this ver- these verses, that it describes how how God for Israel and and for Judah is going to be a stumbling block that they will be snared and that they'll be captured, and and the reality is because. God, again, provides because of his holiness, because of his power, he provides a standard. God is the one who decides what's right and wrong. And, and yet, if he has that authority and we give that to him, then, then he is, once again, holy in our lives and, can, and, and has that control and, and is worthy of our worship. But, but if we don't give him that, right, then he becomes a stumbling block. Because if there's a standard, that means that I can also fall short of it that I can stumble in my life. And if we don't give God authority, if we don't surrender to him the way that Isaiah led by example with, then our ultimate fate is destruction. The next thing we are told in verse 16 is is to to continue to think differently. We make God holy, and we look to God for safety, and we also are to preserve the teaching of God. Because we look at, at our world today and, and and the age of social media and and, and all that, that is, is around us in our culture is the reality is that we live in a world where everyone is a self appointed expert. Right. And and you can find teaching to 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 support any idea under the sun. And yet we are told to preserve the teachings of God. Because the reality is if he has the authority, right, and he is holy, then, then we should, um, again, go back to, to what he thinks is true. And what we know is true, right, that that, that is his teachings. And again, as, as we learn who God is and what he tells us to do, then that's where we should turn all right, and know that that's what's true. That God truly is the expert. And we need to look for him. And then as we are are connected to God in these ways, then then we get to the the last three that we're told in this section of how to think differently. And these are a little more practical steps. These are are the ones where the rubber meets the road. These are sometimes the hardest ones to live out. And and this next one has been very hard for me at different times. Wait for the Lord. We're told to wait for the Lord. Again, we, we, we submit to him, and, and yet then we also submit to his timing and to his will. And for strong leaders, sometimes that's hard to wait. There's a, a popular song on, on Christian radio recently, right? That, and one of the lines in the song says that, that God is never early, but he's also never late. And sometimes I argue with God's timing a little bit, because God, it feels like you're late, right? Like I had this all figured out. You just didn't, right? But you didn't. You didn't do it my way. <laughs> which, which leads though to the next one again. If we truly are waiting on the Lord, it, it also means that we will put our hope in Him, right? And knowing that God is in control, that God, He is working, that that He is the ultimate authority, that. That, that, again, I will turn to him for what he will provide and for what he will do and, and for his guidance and, and, and everything I need in my life. But my hope is in him. And the reality is that, that the world tells us to put our hope in ourselves. In fact, the, the self-help section in the bookstore is, is huge. Like one of the best-selling genres in America. And yet we are told to put our hope in, in him. Again, think differently than the world. And, and as, we, as we wait on God, as we, as we put our hope in him, then, then the last step we are told to do is to look to God for guidance. I, I, I would say today as we say to look, again, do we truly look to God for guidance or do we just Google it? Right, when we should look to God first. And when we do, again, we, we then receive the guidance we need as, as we, we look at our own core values of our church, that, that core value number one is that Jesus Christ is the destination of our journey, right? We make God holy. Everything is about him. He's at the center of what we do. And then we know core value number two is that Scripture is our foundation and roadmap, that we look to Scripture for guidance and for what the next steps should be in, in our faith journey. And as we look at at all of these things that are laid out here in these verses, we, we, again, are reminded of the the overall premise, right, from verse 11, that that all of these things will help us to think differently than the world and keep our minds focused on on who is God and where we lie in that pecking order. As we look at these things, the... Uh, we see this this kind of story continues, and and then we end up here in into chapter nine, and chapter nine includes one of the most famous passages of all of Isaiah. But before um, we get into that passage, uh, we start with this verse nine, verse one, which is the the transition out of out of this this prediction that Isaiah gives of how to to think differently, and then we see in verse one he says, nevertheless that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The land of Zebulun and the folly will be humbled, but there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. Again, it's easy for us to, to look at the Gospels and, and from, from our perspective in 2021 and looking back at the cross and at everything that, that Jesus did and, and the life that he led and all that he accomplished in his death and his resurrection to see exactly what God meant, right, through this prediction. Because, again, Jesus of Nazareth, right, in Galilee. We, we understand, right, what God has done because hindsight seems is always 20-20, but yet when we look at Isaiah and, and at, at Israel and Judah and the original audience of this writing, it's It was not so easy for them. In fact, this passage is exactly the prediction um, that that we're reminded of here, that that Jesus wouldn't be recognized by his own people, that they didn't recognize him coming, and even when he was there, we can read again through the Gospels, right, that that his own people didn't recognize him as the Messiah. Isaiah is predicting here that the religious leaders would get it all wrong, And however, as we read this description in these following verses, it's it's easy to see how their expectations were so skewed, right? They had certain expectations of what God was going to send and and how God was going to redeem the the nation of his people. So let's read this famous passage, Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2 through 7, where it says, "...the people who walk in darkness will see a great light." For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. You will enlarge the nation of Israel and its people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest and like warriors dividing the plunder. For you will break the yoke of their slavery, lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. The boots of the warrior and the uniforms bloodstained by war will be, all be burned. They will be fuel for the fire. You might be thinking, "Yeah, I've heard that before," because we usually read it at Christmas. In fact, it's a very famous Christmas passage, and obviously for good reason. I mean, it is talking about the coming Messiah, right? And 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 everything that that will that he will accomplish and he will do. And and yet, as we look at this, we realize, right, that again, the, the Israelites as they are reading this prediction of uh, of deliverance, right of of government dominance and of you know, reestablishing the throne of David. I mean, there's through this time of struggle, they were looking for another earthly king. In fact, the original context of this passage is we look back at Isaiah and, and, and this poem that is written here in these verses. Think about where they were coming from as judgment was happening, right? That these evil nations were winning as they were being conquered. But yet, this poem was a reminder to them that God was not abandoning him. He was not abandoning his plan of how to redeem this chosen nation. That there was still evidence of a holy seed, right, in the midst of this cut-down tree of Israel. Yeah, we saw this referenced in last week in Isaiah 6, right? That within the stump, there will be a holy seed, a remnant. And this poem, again, was written by Isaiah in the original context. We can read and believe that this was actually written um, at the dedication of a newborn royal son. Again, the original context of this poem wasn't really about the Messiah at all. It was was about a, a new king that was born from this holy remnant in the line of David. And yet, this passage is very messianic in its prediction as well. Not only was Isaiah explaining what was, again, born in a new human king, but he was also predicting what the Messiah would do. Again, this was originally written from Isaiah's perspective at a celebration of a new royal baby being born. This was originally written as a sign of hope in a very dark season, that God's plan is still at work, that the next king has been born through the Davidic line. And as we see this and even look at this original context, and we can realize that, again, this poem was meant to bring hope in the midst of struggle. It was meant to bring hope in the midst of struggle. Now, we can all identify with Israel in this moment, can't we? We've all had struggles in life. When we've sat back and tried to think differently and like, God, where are you? And and then we find hope. This is exactly what this was meant to bring. Again, the nation was being taken over. Judgment was being realized. And evil nations were winning. And Isaiah was passing on the news that God's not done. And yet, as we see this this prediction of the coming Messiah and all that would be accomplished through his life, we see several descriptions of, of what What would happen through Jesus here in this passage? Again, as we know that Jesus was the chosen Messiah, and and we see the first thing that's described about this coming Messiah was that the light would shine in the dark. That Jesus's life would would bring life through light into this dark world. Again, this is described in in John chapter 1, verses 4 through 5 where it says that the word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. Again, who's the most powerful one? God. He is holy. He's the one worthy to be praised. Right? He is the one that, that will conquer that evil. The darkness cannot extinguish the light But the next thing we see described here in verse 3 of this poem is, is that through Jesus, everyone can be a part of God's family. That everyone can be a part of God's family. That, again, God was not just focused on his one chosen nation of, of Israel, but, but yet he sent his son, this Messiah, to save the whole world, which, again, is the message of John three sixteen and 17. For this is how God loved the world, he gave his one and only son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. Even in the midst of judgment, we can have hope, right, in salvation. And God sent his son to the entire world so that everyone can believe and be saved. And when we find that salvation in Christ, when we receive him as our savior, when we pray and confess our sin and receive him into our life, right, join the journey of faith and become a follower of Jesus, when that happens, right, then we see the next thing that the Messiah is described to do here in this passage of verse four, and that is that you can be set free from the bondage of sin. But just as we learned in chapter one, right, the relationship always comes first. You have to receive Christ first, and then you are set free. And once you receive Christ, then you, again, are set free from the bondage of sin. And again, this is a concept that Paul describes in Romans chapter 6. When he says, thank God, because once you were slaves of sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching that we've given you. And now you are free from your slavery to sin, and you have become slaves to righteous living. Again, how, how does that happen? Well, it happens by changing the way you think. Don't think like everyone else because you've been set free. Don't go back to the bondage that 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 sin keeps you in. And the Messiah sets you free. Once you receive Christ as your Savior and receive that forgiveness. And once you do that, and once you've been set set free from the bondage of sin, then it leads us to the next thing that this passage describes of the Messiah. In verse 5, and that is that then you will find true peace. True peace. And this peace that comes through God is, is not just the absence of violence. But it's true peace. As Philippians 4.7 speaks to. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. And his peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. He's, again, like the prince of peace, but not just the absence of violence, but, but true peace, God's peace, something that you can't even explain. As we see, again, all that the Messiah will do, that through Jesus we find all of this, and, and, and if we are a true, committed as Paul says, wholeheartedly doing everything that God tells us to do, and then it leads us to this last thing that Isaiah says the Messiah will do. And, and that is that we will serve an eternal king who sits on the throne of your heart. Again, a God of all authority, who is holy. I mean, we go back to, again, the previous passage, and we see all of those things play true to the fact that he is a king. That God is the king. He's an eternal king. And a king that will rule starting on the throne of your own heart. Because God is not just a big powerful God, but he's also a personal God. A God that loves you more than you can imagine. And a God that wants to sit on the throne of your heart. And as we see this overall concept, right, of, of what the Messiah was to accomplish, again, Israel was looking for an earthly king, right, to come in to, to reestablish the government, just like David had done in the, the glory days of Israel's history with David on the throne. And, and they were looking for, for a, a, an earthly king again. And yet they, they missed the point, right? And, and, and yet, as we see, that's exactly what Jesus describes in John 18, in his conversation with Pilate, where Jesus answered, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. For if it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders, but my kingdom is not of this world. And again, I, I, we are thankful for that, right? We're thankful that this world is not our home. Right, then when we read these words, right, that were written 2,500 years ago that still apply strikingly so to, to our culture today, we can sit back and be like, Lord, thank you that this is not where we have to stay for eternity. Because this world is pretty messed up. Right, and yet we serve an eternal king. Right, and, and his, he is God who is on his throne in heaven. And heaven will be reestablished at his second coming of Christ, right? To be here in the new heaven and the new earth. But until that time, he also sits on the throne of our hearts. And the more we have of God in our life, the more that he transforms our heart and transforms our mind and changes the way we think. So that we don't see the world or evaluate the world the same way that a non-believer would. And we see all of this and and, and get, how can this all be accomplished? Can we truly put our trust in in the fact that God will do all of this? Again, this this original poem was was given to Israel to bring them hope in the midst of struggle. And you can imagine them even in that moment and thinking, can God really do that? Because right now it looks pretty grim. And yet, we see at the very end of this poem, the, the, the conclusion of this passage, the, the second part of verse 7, where Isaiah says, the passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. I encourage you to underline, circle, put stars around it, around this phrase of the passionate commitment of the Lord. Because God has not abandoned us. He is still the king. He is on his throne in heaven. He is on the throne of our hearts as committed followers of Jesus. yet, Israel found hope through the future arrival of the Messiah. And we now, looking back at the cross, we, we have seen and, and experienced the Messiah every day, right, in our lives and following him. But we also can find the same hope As we look forward to the second coming of Christ. When his kingdom will be eternally established. In the new heaven and new earth. Because the reality is that the passionate commitment of the Lord has not changed. That God can be trusted. That God will keep his promises. And that God brings everything described here, he still brings to our lives today. And just as we can look at the descriptions of Isaiah and think, man, those having starking parallels to today, right, all of the hope also applies today. Again, I don't know where you're at in your life. I don't know where you're at in your faith, but my hope is that today you will find true hope in Jesus, That the Messiah has come. He lived a sinless life. He died on the cross and he rose again on the third day. So you can be saved. And you can find all that's described in these passages. Have you received Christ as your Savior? Have you joined the journey of faith? If not, you can do that today. And if you have, are you finding your hope? Are you putting your hope in God every day? Right? And fulfilling everything that he's called us to do as we, as we live, fully surrendered to him. Right? And we can find hope in the midst of the struggle. Light in the midst of the darkness. Find an eternal king in the soup of self-appointed experts. And as we think about that in our lives and and every day, I want to leave us today with this famous verse that's not just a Christmas verse. It is a verse that we take with us every day as we walk with him and move forward in our journey. And that is the final thought for today, which comes from Isaiah 9, 6. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government rests on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. I hope God is all of those things to you today. And if not, you can pray and receive him as your Savior. You can commit your life or just praise him for what he's already done, but is he your king? Are you thinking differently than the world? I hope so. God, we praise you that you sent your Son God, to be with us every day. Lord, we thank you that after his death and resurrection, God, that he created a way for us back to you, for sins to be forgiven, for that we've been washed clean and that we've been given the Holy Spirit and we feel your presence with us every day. Lord, as we go this week, may you help us to live out the truths of our faith. God, that you truly are a God with us. And we praise you for that today. God, as we go this week, as your church, as followers of Jesus, God, may we truly shine your light in this dark world. We thank you that you are our our eternal king. And you sit on the throne of our hearts. Lord, help us to show the world the hope we can all have in you. As we live out our faith this week. Guide us as we go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.